Hi, Greg Perry. Welcome to episode 376. Continuing on uh, our theme with log homes, log cabins, from felled timber to finished product. So we're going to start out this episode by talking about squaring. So often you feel the need to flatten your log. So guys, don't feel that need all the time on at least two sides before you use it. This need for squaring is only partially based on the neurotic Western European compulsion to impose strict geometric order on natural forms. So let the natural forms be natural. Shaping the log into a standard rectangular section is genuinely helpful in the systematic construction of a frame building. It also gives you the flat walls for the more polite forms of log building. It gives you a lighter, stiffer timber and most certainly allows the log to dry better. Squaring a log is generally useful and you need to know how to do it. It is essential. Let's talk about the layout. Although you can, you can do the squaring entirely by eye, even the most experienced woodworkers usually place guidelines on the log before going at it with an axe. <clears throat> First, roll the log up off the ground onto sh two short crisscross logs with notches cut in their tops so that the log you're working will not rock about. If the log curves, orient it so that the curve hangs in the vertical plane rather than to one side. Sit down at the small end of the log with a plumb bob, a scratch all and to square and begin the layout process. At the top of your the end of the log, spear the end grain twice with the scratch all to make a mark to point out the thickness that you want to hew the timber to. From each of these two points, drop the plumb line and mark the lower end. With the square and the awl, scribe vertical lines that connect the top and bottom points. Get up, Go to the other end and do the same thing. So once you have the two ends marked, connect them down with the length of the log with a snap line. You can use charcoal by burning some willow wood rubbed on a string or pokeberry juice, but chalk is as old as the wide cliffs of Dover. So when you snap the line, be sure to strain it in the same plane as the surface that you want to create. If you mistakenly pull out radially from the heart of the log, the odd contours of the natural surface will throw you way offline. Not a good thing. Hewing. Hewing is a means of getting what you want by chopping off what you don't need. Almost all the wood is removed by splitting. Ideally, you could drive a wedge at one end of the log and split off the whole side at once. Realistically, though, you will have to shorten the length of the piece to be split off. The way to do this is to stand on top of the log and chop a series of notches into the side down to the line. Space these notches about a foot apart unless you come to a knot, in which the, that case you must chop right on top. When you swing down with the grain, and split off the chunks between the notches. This is why you must get rid of the knots, 
Otherwise, they could peg the chunk firmly to the log. Continue down the log until all of the chunks are split off. At this point, the hewn surface is quite rough, and you can further level by chopping a more closely spaced array of scorings, and then again, splitting along the grain. The finishing touch is to slice down across the grain of the timber. This can be done with a felling axe, but the specialized broad axe makes the job much, much easier. The broad axe has a face that is virtually flat on one side toward the log. The handle is generally offset to the opposite side so that your fingers will remain attached to your hands as you work, and that's a good thing. With one, when one side is done, you do the opposite side and continue to make the log four square. So let's get into building the walls of our, of our log house, our log cabin. Getting the materials ready to build implies that you have a location picked out. Locate in haste, repent at leisure. So many factors go into this important decision that only time spent at the site can bring them all well into focus. And remember, we talked even like the Shivers House in Woodstown. It's located with regards to the sun up, sun down, front to back, uh, on a bluff, protected from winds and various other things. So all these environmental factors were taken in when placing that house there. They just didn't plop it there. So, so camp out as long as possible at the site to see how it meshes with the wind, the sun, the view, the drainage, the neighbors, and the distance of water that you need. Remember, there was no public water, um, no public sewer, nothing like that. So you had to be somewhat close to water. And, uh, you know, within what? quarter mile, eighth of a mile. You don't want to have to be walking all the time just to get some water. So, or not you, but your, your, your slaves or your, your, the people that work for you or your barter. So, so a cabin with a, a dirt floor may or may not have a foundation. A low skirt of brick or stone can support the outer walls above the damp and decaying of the ground. The inside can be filled with packed earth to make a good floor. Often, though, a cabin is built with ground sills or, or mud sills that lie directly on the ground. As long as these bottommost logs are of extremely decay-resistant wood, such as locust, heart pine, or cypress, they will last long enough to give you the option of installing more permanent foundations. Old country builders' records are filled with mentions of underpinning buildings, lifting them up and putting new brick beneath them as they started to rot. Set the sill logs parallel and level to one another. For a cabin, they're right when they look right. For a log house with a wooden floor, these timbers need to be squared and leveled carefully to hold the floor joist. Sill logs usually go on the long walls of the cabin, but if you're going to make the door opening on the shorter gable end, you may wish to place the sills on the short end, also to keep the threshold from being too high. Saddle notching. Saddle notches are generally deemed the, the least sophisticated of many forms of corner joints for log buildings. <clears throat> you simply chop a hollow near the end of the log to match the contour of the one it crosses. 
Just because saddle notches are simple does not mean they have to be roughly done. But because they are simple, they are most often chosen for buildings of expediency. You can quickly learn to cut a saddle notch by setting the log in place and chopping. By eye, the mirror image of the log beneath it into its top side. Do the same at the far end and roll the log over into place. The deeper you chop the notch, the closer the top log will drop toward the one beneath it. Depending on how deep the cut you notch, you can build a cabin with no gaps at all, or one that needs lots of chinking and daubing to close the spaces between the logs. You may well find it neater and easier in the long run to use a pair of, div of dividers to scribe the notches. All you need to do is open the dividers to the desired depth of the notch and, keeping them vertical, pull them around the proposed joint. The bottom leg of the dividers rides over the bottom log as the top leg scratches the contour into the side of the top log. You may reset the dividers a little wider to make a log drop a little more on one end but do not let the log get jousted around before the ends have been marked. As the first chorus of logs goes into place, you can start exercising the judgment that will keep the walls rising evenly. Most logs are going to be thicker on one end than the other. If you put all the thick ends at one corner, the corner will tend to rise faster than the others. Common sense, right? The obvious solution is to alternate fat and skinny ends to keep when the rise begins even. You also find it wise to use your heavier logs first. Now two is the time to square the building by measuring for equal diagonals between the corners if you feel so compelled. Maybe you don't want to check this out. But as the walls rise you may need to place a long skid pole against the walls to help you raise the logs. This is a block and tackle anchored to the far wall or the common par buckle arrangement will enable you to move the heaviest logs. Working solo, I've had to had the best I've I've had very good luck in using the skids to allow me to slide up one end at a time. When one end of the log is as high as I can push it, I anchor with rope and move the other end into place. You can keep your skids on one side of the building. If you always roll up the log intended for the opposite wall first and roll it across the top of the pen into place. The walls can rise pretty fast when everything is going your way, but this is mighty hard to work on a hot day, believe me. Once, working on a large cabin, I managed to get only a few courses of logs into place on a day that reached 105 in the shade. So I was not in the shade. So on a normal day, I could get up eight to 12 courses in a day. When the walls reach the height of the ceiling space that you need for the ground level, it's time to set the floor joists. These joists span the narrow width at regular intervals and will both support the loft space and create whatever eaves overhang you may require. If you're making a rafter roof, these extended joists will support the plate and in turn supports the rafter feet. Openings. 
Anyone wondering by this time might feel compelled to point out that you've forgotten to make a door in your cabin. You might also feel compelled to bounce the palm of your hand off the forehead and say, darn, I knew there was something wrong. Now that the walls are up, um, yeah, before the roof goes on, it's time to cut the door and window openings. So mark the openings and nail split saplings around them to keep the logs in place until the door is cut and framed. You can start the cross-cut saw at the top of the proposed opening by several methods. You can saw partway through the log at the top corner of the openings as you are lying up the wall. If, you're, if you wait until the walls are up to decide where the doors and windows will go, you can chop through the top log of the opening with an axe. With big, thick, hard logs, you can make the chopping easier by boring a vertical row of auger holes along the line of the opening. Chopping into this row from the waist side will quickly give you an opening for the cross-cut saw. I found this method used to cut new doors through a walnut and oak cabin before. So pegging the jams. Split or hew the inch and a half thick door jams to frame the interior of the door openings. Nails or common pegs won't hold well in the end grain of logs. So here is where we commonly find fox or blind wedging, handy to make pegs hold. After boring a hole through the jam into the end grain of the log, all you need to do is to split the end of the peg and insert a wedge into the split before you drive the peg in. When the wedge hits the bottom of the auger hole in the log, it will expand the peg like a dum-dum bullet. Cut off the protruding end of the peg, split it with a chisel across the grain of the jam, and drive in another wedge. If your logs are still fresh and green, remember they're going to shrink as they dry. In a log house, where the height is determined entirely by the cross grain of the wood, you can add up to a lot more movement. People usually advise you to let this cabin settle before you install any vertical elements, such as a door or window jams. If you install jams in a green log wall, you can make room for the settling by cutting the notches in the, in the head log, the one that you hit your head on when you go into the door. So make it about two inches deeper than it needs to be. The jams need to be stoutly affixed because they will take the weight of the door. But for now, just nail up a blanket and get the roof in place before you bother to deal with the door. So Greg Perry, the Historic Preservationist, signing out. Thanks for listening.